Open up to Hebrews chapter 1. What is Christmas all about? Is it about cookies and candy? Is it about ham and family? Is it all about money? Is it just another holiday? And have we lost our way? Are we missing the significance of this day when Christ began to, to move and, and to speak and to work in just a glorious new way. If you're there in Hebrews chapter 1, we'll begin with the first two verses where it says, In the past God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son. Let's go ahead and begin with a word of prayer. Most gracious Heavenly Father, I do thank you, Lord, for this, this opportunity to focus on you and your, and your glory in your majesty, I pray as we consider your son and who he was and is and what he did and is doing, that you would minister to our hearts, that you'd move in our midst. And Lord, that we'd leave here uh, just knowing maybe a little bit more about you, being a little bit closer to you. Uh, and, and for that, Lord, I just praise you. It's in your name I pray. Amen. 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 So, in the past, God spoke generally to us all through creation in our conscience. You could say that if you were to read this, uh, this verse, and it says, in, in the past, God spoke to our forefathers, to the prophets, and many times and in various ways. And these are two of the, the various ways that you can pick out. Through creation, and you were to look up to creation, maybe according to Romans chapter 1, and you can read that for your uh, devotions tonight. And you can look up and say, well, well, look at the complexity of it. Look at the glory of it. Something like this couldn't just happen. There has to be a creator. There has to be a designer. It's just the obvious inclination of your heart. It would draw you to worship God through his creation, to, to seek to know God through creation. And God has spoken to us all through our conscience the same manner. And there's something in us, and Erwin, I think, in the Crave documentaries does a great job of drawing this out, that there's something just naturally in us that asks the eternal questions. And it's not in any other creation. Your dog doesn't think that. Your cat doesn't think that. You know, my dog, he looks at me and he thinks about food and sleep and how to destroy my house. And, and that's it. You know, I don't, he would never look up at me and be like, Michael, I'm curious. Is there a God, creator of heaven and earth? No, it just wouldn't happen. And this is the way that God speaks to us. And though God has spoken generally to us all through creation and through our conscience, God has spoken specifically uh, to some people. Uh, and you can note them down. God spoke to Abraham through an angel. And you know the story. To Moses through a burning bush. To Elijah through a still small voice. To Isaiah through a great vision. To Hosea through an adulterous woman. God spoke to Balaam through a donkey, and God spoke, my famous, to Amos through a fruit basket. You can read that there in Amos chapter 8. And now in our time, God has said, you know, enough of that. I'm, I'm tired of messengers messing up the message of God. And now God is going to come in the flesh himself and give us the message of God because it's been said that, that even the best of man is, is a man at best, and, 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 and there's just none of them that can represent God the way that he deserves to be represented. And I said that I probably wouldn't yell. 
It's already happened. I'm sorry. And you can look at some of the best of these men. You have Aaron. Right? Who was Aaron? Yeah, he's the, he's the brother of Moses. He's the first priest of Israel. Right? And here's a man called to represent God to the people of Israel. And what does he do? First order of business. I'll make an idol and then I'll lie about it. You know, and they just gave me their jewelry and I threw it into the fire and out this thing came. He's a fine representative of God. He's a liar. But Abraham was a liar and Jacob was a liar. And all of Jacob's sons were liars. And Proverbs 6, 17 says that God hates a lying tongue. They all failed as representatives of God. And Elijah was depressed and suicidal. Isaiah had a foul mouth and he preached in the nude. Jonah ran from God, called to preach for God, and then God created a fish to swallow him up and spew him onto a shore so that he would deliver the message of God. Finally, he gave the message of God, hoping to see God crush the very people that he was preaching to. And enough! Enough of these, these faulty human beings! I'll send my son, God incarnate, in the flesh, to deliver my word, to be my word. And that's exactly what he's done in these last days. And what we'll see before us, what's set before us in Hebrews chapter 1 in these first few verses are seven characteristics of Christ um, that will draw us close to him during this season as we consider the birth of him. And I, I had talked to Sam in the past about the Thursday night studies and, and he told me that it would be a discussion type of thing. So what I've done is, is I've made the study so that we can share the study. So feel free to talk. Um, and you don't need to raise your hands. This isn't school. So when I ask a question, you can answer. We'll begin there in verse 1 again. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets and in many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. And the first thing that we see about Christ of these seven characteristics is that he is the inheritor. So what does it mean to inherit something? Oh, you're a shy lot. <laughs> what is it? To pass something down. When do you usually receive an inheritance? When somebody dies. And, and this is Christ. He's appointed to inherit all things upon his death through his resurrection. Now, when my grandma died, um, she left her most precious possession to us, to, to Corinne and myself. And, and it wasn't jewelry, and it wasn't her house, it wasn't her bank account. It was her dogs. And upon her death, they became our dogs. And that was the deal. Um, and this is very much so the same deal. In Ephesians 1, you can see there in verse 18, if you can turn there quickly, I'll read it briefly. In Ephesians 1.18, it says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And Paul says, I want you to understand this. It's the hope of your calling. I want you to understand who you are. You are his inheritance. You are the saints. You were this treasured possession that he came to purchase with his death, to receive upon his death. 
and the world might look on at us and they might look into to the, the, the vast church windows that we have here as we look out to Taco Bell, which makes me hungry. <laughs> and they might look in and say, well, these are those. You are the treasured inheritance. You're nothing more than a lot of dogs. Oh, you're filthy, you're mangy, you're always getting into trouble and making messes. You're a disaster. Oh, but that's not the way that God sees you. That's not the way that my grandma saw them. You were what is priceless to him. You are what is treasured to him. And you were worth the sacrifice of him. But not just the inheritor. You can see there in Hebrews 1, the next step, that he's appointed heir of all things, but through whom he made the universe. So not just the inheritor, it's the first thing, but second, the creator. The creator. You might well say, the creator? That doesn't make any sense to me. God's the creator. And everybody knows that. You know, and, the, and that's what I've always been taught. In Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So is it God or is it Jesus? And what's the answer? Yes. The answer is yes. God is Jesus. Jesus is God. There you have the, the glorious mystery of the Trinity revealed here quite clearly. And some would say, well, I've read the Bible cover to cover. Never says that Jesus was God. You might want to take a second look. It's on nearly every page. God here portrayed very clearly through Christ Jesus as the creator. And some would say, it's absurd to believe that God is the creator. Everybody knows it's 2010, bordering on 2011. The science is the answer. And how wonderfully arrogant we can be. Yeah, science was the answer a few hundred years ago when we said that the earth was flat. Yet in Isaiah's time, God said that it was round. Isaiah 40, verse 22, if you want to write it down. And science was the answer only 100 years when we said that there are exactly and no more than 6,000 stars in the sky. Yet in Jeremiah's time, God had said that there were too numerous to count. 3322. And Einstein thought that he was really onto something when he came up with a theory of relativity that said that, you know, time, space, and matter all had to come into existence at exactly the same moment for life as we know it to exist. But in Genesis 1:1 it says, in the beginning, which is time, God created the heavens, which is space, and the earth, which is matter. And all Einstein really needed to do to come up with relativity is to read the first verse on the first page of the Bible. It's been there all the while. E.A. Robinson says this, and, and I love this quote. He said, The world is a kind of spiritual kindergarten where bewildered infants are trying to spell God with all the wrong blocks. And we think that we know best, and we always have. We have the answer. But we don't. Only God has the answer because he's the creator. So the inheritor and the creator. Next, we see that he is the radiator. And the sun is the radiance of God's glory. What does it mean to radiate something? To shine forth. What did you say? Reflection. It's a reflection. It's it's. It's going to come out of you. It's going to reflect from you. It's, it, it's, it means most literally to spread forth from the center of the core. 
It's a wonderful thing to consider. The sun spreads forth, it radiates light. Why? Because that's what's in the core of it. That's what's in the center of it. And that's what's going to naturally come out of it. And Moses in his day would say, you know, when God said, you can ask anything of me, it'll be yours. What do you want? And what did Moses say? He said, show me your glory. And that's all he wanted. He didn't say, you know, give me the kingdoms of the earth. Make me the most mighty man who's ever lived. He said, God, I just want to see your glory. And the author of Hebrews says, look unto Christ. He radiates it. He's the light that shines in the midst of the darkness. And all that he did brought glory to God. It put God on display. It radiated from the core of him because that's what was inside of him. And the fact of the matter is that we all radiate something. You know, some people, you meet them and they just radiate sports. And it just pours out of them, you know. And it's like they wear their Dodger shirts and they have their banners on their house. There's a house on Euclid that has, what is it, a Nebraska banner or Ohio banner or something? It's Ohio. It's, it's absurd. But it radiates out of them. I've never played a sport in my life, so that couldn't be, <laughs> that couldn't be what I radiate. Some people radiate music, and that's what their whole world's about. You know, and they, they love music. It's, it's the new music, and they're always trying to find the best music or better music, and, and they're just obsessed with music. Or maybe it's the old music, and that's the best music, and they still have their Led Zeppelin hair, and they're, they're talking about a reunion tour, and it's eminent. And it's like, no, it's not. Let it go. And for some people, it's materialism. And especially during this season... And you have people talking about the new thing, and I want to get that thing, and I got to have that thing. That thing is the better thing. That's why I got to have that thing, because that thing will make this thing a happy thing. And it's, it's a sad thing. It really is. It's kind of pathetic. And some people are obsessed with a person, and that's what radiates out of them, because that's all that's inside of them. And, and when you get together with them, they're just goo-goo-ga-ga for this guy or this gal, or, and, and that's all they want to talk about, that's all they think about, and, and their text messages reflect it, and it's, it's disturbing. <laughs> and this comes out of Christ because this is in Christ, and you've you got you to take it to the natural conclusion where what's coming out of you is a good indication of what's inside of you. So what do you talk about? What do you think about? What do you radiate into this world? This world doesn't need more commentators on sports or music. What they need is someone to just radiate the glory of God. You know, that's exactly what Jesus did. And God in the flesh, he just radiated it. It just poured out of him because it's what was inside of him. What are you filling yourself with? What are you putting into you that could come out of you? You might say, well, well, I'm not radiating the glory of God, but I want to be. Well, what do you do when you get off work or when you wake up in the morning? Because all that stuff that you're putting inside of you, this is what's going to happen with it, just as it happens with the sun, uh, the S-U-N, just as it happened with the sun, the S-O-N. It's going to come pouring out of you in one form or another. Jesus was the radiance of God's glory. But next you see here that he's the representer, not just the radiator, the representer. So he's the radiance of God's glory and the exact 
representation of his being. You know, the Greek here has the idea of a stamp. And at work, I have a, a Winnie the Pooh stamp. And uh, I'm a tutor. Maybe I should have said that first. It's like, I'm an engineer, I'm a contractor. I signed my name and put a Winnie the Pooh stamp on the paper. No, but I, I, I'm a tutor, so I, w I work with a lot of children. If they bring back their homework and if it's, you know, adequately completed, they get the Winnie the Pooh stamp, and they love the Winnie the Pooh stamp. You know, I've never actually seen Winnie the Pooh, but they go bananas for it. And uh, I dip it in the ink, I rub it all about, and then, boom, it goes down on the paper. And what's left there on the paper? Right? Like the identical image of what's on the stamp. And, and you, you can't miss the point. They're two separate things but they're identical in appearance to one another. And Jesus would say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And this, is, this is what he was. He was the representation of God. He was the stamp of God upon human flesh. So if you've seen him, you've seen God. And you could do well to just point that out. But I would say you might do better to take it to the next logical step and say, well, isn't that what we're called to be? And what do we call ourselves? Christian. Christian. And what does Christian mean? It means one who's like Christ. And this is exactly what we're called to be according to Scripture. We're called to be the stamp of Christ upon our own flesh. And, and let me just say that the world doesn't need to see Michael Turner. The world could live without Michael Turner. <laughs> the world would be very happy some places <laughs> to live without Michael Turner. Yeah. But what they need to see is the stamp of Christ upon Michael Turner. They need to see the stamp of Christ upon you because it's that which will impact the world, not us and how clever we can be or our arguments or intelligence. They just need to see Jesus, this representation, the stamp upon human flesh. But not just the representer, he's also the sustainer. This is the fifth one. Um, uh, sustaining all things by his powerful word. What does it mean to sustain something? To maintain it. I heard to keep it. Yeah, keep it together, that whole thing. Stay on a course. Now, before history, at the beginning of history, and even at its end, he will always in the present tense, notice in the scripture, be sustaining or upholding all things. And you can trust him. You can depend on him, even though you won't always understand the ways of him. You know, in Bible college, uh, my last semester there, I, uh, I took a missions class, and we had to do a report on a missionary, and I did John Patton. Have any of you ever heard of John Patton? Amazing missionary. Um, to the cannibals in the South Pacific Islands. And one night he was surrounded by hostile natives at the, uh, the missionary station. They were intent on burning out the patents. They were going to light the station on fire so that when the patent family came running out, they can slaughter them all. Um, and, you know, John Patton and his wife, they prayed, and it says during that terror-filled night that God would deliver them. They pleaded with God to protect them. You know, they were, they were to just watch over them. They just felt alone in the midst of this terrible storm. And maybe you felt the same way. You know, you see things and, and it doesn't 
It doesn't appear that God's sustaining you anymore for one reason or another. You know, financially, practically, vocationally. It's like, I feel alone in this. And it's a storm. And you're calling out to God, where are you, God? And when daylight came, they were amazed to see that the the attackers had left. And a year later, the chief of the tribe was converted to Christ, remembering what had happened. Patton asked the chief what had kept him from burning down the house and killing them that night. And the chief replied in surprise. And he said, how could I? And who were all those men with you there? And Patton knew that there were no men present. But the chief said he was afraid to attack because he had seen hundreds of big men in shining garments with drawn swords circling the mission station. You know, even when you don't understand the ways of them and you can't see them, you're sustained by them. You're kept by them. And nothing happens that hasn't come under the scrutiny of his loving gaze. And it's easy to forget that sometimes. You know, especially when you're, when you're in the Patton's house and you're surrounded by the enemy. Mm-hmm. And we've been there from one time or another. Oh, but Christ is so present in those moments and you can trust him to sustain all things you included. Not merely the sustainer, next the purifier. And after he had provided purification for sins, and we'll stop there. How does he purify us from our sins? He took it upon himself. And we ask for forgiveness. He did it by himself. He didn't go down to, you know, the petting zoo and snatch up a lamb and slit its throat. And as the blood ran forth along the curb, he'd say, well, that's good. That's good enough. I've done my part. Now he came and he was the lamb. He was led alone to the cross to bear the weight of our sins upon himself. To atone for everything that we've done. And his blood poured out for our purification, our redemption. If your finger's still in Ephesians, you can turn back there to the first chapter. We'll look at the seventh verse. Ephesians 1.7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. And this is the heart of God towards you, that you would receive, even as my brother here said, this wonderful purification that he offers. But now I'll ask another question. Is it merely a one-time matter that you've settled, you've come to him, you've been purified by him, and now you can walk away and all's good and well and you can get on with your life? Is it? Yes? No? If you say no, then why? We're sinners. Yeah, and Peter would look into the eyes of his loving Lord and Savior as he washed his feet. And what would he say? Say, how can you wash my feet? I mean, isn't this the way I feel? You know, I don't need to come back to you. I'm good. I'm straight. Don't worry about things. Yeah, how can you wash my feet? And Jesus would say, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part in my kingdom. 
You would say, well, then wash all of me. Jesus would say, well, I don't need to do that. No, you're already clean. But your, your feet, they've gotten dusty. They're dirty. And that's what we have. We're already clean. You've come to him. You've been saved by him. You know him. And positionally, you're with him. You're purified by him. You're clean. But practically, oh, we can get grungy. And so you need to return to him. You need to seek forgiveness and purification from him. And this is what John talks about in 1 John chapter 1, in, in verse 9. He says, if we, what? Confess our sins. And who's we? This is a basic English, princi English principle and grammar. I mean, you have we, and it means you and I. And some people say, no, he's talking to the heathens of the world. Well, then he would have said, if you. <laughs> but he didn't. He said, if we. Oh, there's an indication there that we... Need to come to him. Ask for forgiveness by him. Say, so if we come to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and what? Purify us all in righteousness. Oh, dear one, so many of us might return to him tonight and have him wash our feet, though we be clean. It's not merely the purifier, but now finally, the ruler. After he'd provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Oh, the ruler. And it's not as the Catholic Church would depict. And maybe some of you have gone there to experience the faulty, inglorious atmosphere that it provides. You'd walk through the doors and what do you see? Jesus upon the cross, suffering in anguish. Still pain, bleeding, pouring out for you and I. That's not my Lord. He's the ruler. Where is he now? Seated at the right hand of majesty. The world might not bow to him this day, but rest assured, according to Philippians chapter 2, they'll all bow one day. Unfortunately, and it should give our Christianity a sense of urgency, that by that day, for so many, it'll be too late. There's only one reason you know, these seven steps that we've taken tonight, that he came and he created all this, that he sustains all this, only one reason that he represented God and is, uh, you know, the radiance of his glory, simply that he might inherit you upon his death through his blood, which brings purification for our sins. And last year... I did a lot of the filming for the video, and I walked around in the village, you know, the Claremont Village and the Victoria Gardens, and I asked just dozens of people what Christmas was all about. And 2,000 years have come and gone since God came in the flesh, and they were completely oblivious. You know, so many of those people were just absolutely clueless. You know, so what is Christmas all about? It's about the birth of the one that would came to save us, that came to save us, that was made the sacrifice for us. He came to show us the way and sustain us as we go that way. Because he just so greatly loved us. And what I wanted to do is to give us seven specific reasons to praise him 
and give him the glory due him as this season we celebrate the birth of him. And I hope that you have those as you leave here tonight. I think we have some time so we can go ahead and and praise him through another song. And and uh, But I'll go ahead and close us in a word of prayer. Most gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for who you are. Lord, you sent your son, your son to inherit us upon his death. Your son who created all things, who radiates your glory and represents you so clearly. Lord, your son who sustains us through all the struggles and storms of this world who purifies us from every sin and who rules in heaven even now. And God, we give you the glory. Oh, and we love you. Thank you so much for the son that you sent for our salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.